This is the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, and in this short period of Green Sundays following Epiphany, the focus, the principal focus, is on the ways and the means to make manifest the presence of God to the world. How, as Christian disciples, uh, are we to do that, to be the transparencies and reflections of God's grace that we're called to be? There are more than one way to think about this. Some Christians emphasize the idea that making manifest means that we seek to find the ways and the means to commend our greatest place of safety and assurance, in other words, in some sort of a missionary undertaking. Uh, I happen to agree with some these days that uh, the United States of America is, in fact, a mission field when we never used to think of it that way before, but it certainly is. Do we uh, become people uh, who are advocates for all that is just and pure and godly? And in some way, through our behavior and through our support of worthy things, uh, make manifest the presence of God? Do we make manifest the presence of God through behavior? Do we make manifest the presence of God through worthy works in the world? And it seems today, and at least the reading from Isaiah and the reading from the Gospel, that is what is being suggested as uh, a way that deserves our focus on this Sunday. So let me say a word to you. It also affords the opportunity to say some things about Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah, one of the great major prophets in the Hebrew Bible. When I was in seminary, I was taught that uh, there are actually three Isaiahs. First Isaiah, which seems logical. Second Isaiah. And third Isaiah. If you really want to amaze your friends, you could refer to third Isaiah as Trito Isaiah. Then they'll really think you've arrived, and maybe they won't ask you any more questions. (laughs) Well, who cares and why do we worry about this sort of thing? Well, the prophetic message of Isaiah uh, spans a historical period. Uh, What they understood now was the way in which they uh, were to be the people of God in that time and in every time spans a period of about 250 years. So it would be hard for somebody, uh, one person, to be the Isaiah And for that matter, if they had relied on one amanuensis, uh, for them to be uh, that old too. First Isaiah begins uh, in about 738 B.C. And the prophetic ministry operates from about 736 to 710. And it's about, uh, watch it because your lack of paying attention to what's important with regard to your relationship to God could lead to an invasion by the Babylonians and others in Jerusalem. So you need to do something about this, or at least the prophet believes that to be so. Second Isaiah takes place in Babylon, in the Babylonian exile. So there's a see, I told you aspect here. And that Isaiah is operating uh, somewhere around 540 B.C. 
and speaking about how uh, we got ourselves into this fix. First of all, how do we cope with alienation and exile? How do we tell our stories in the midst of this being in a strange place? How do we recover some sense of connection and faithfulness? How do we get over feeling sorry for ourselves? Poor me, poor me. And how do we become the people of God in whatever circumstance in which we find ourselves? And then third Isaiah that we hear from today, 538 to 510 B.C., is back in Jerusalem. And we're talking about now how do we reconstitute ourselves From an individual and personal point of view, the questions asked when you read this text, if I have been through a sense of separation, alienation, and lostness, how now do I recover my sense of home? How do I in some way achieve some sense of serenity? How do I recover the highest and best of our community life together in the past that will help us constitute ourselves now? And what are some of the traits and behaviors that godly people are to cultivate. So third Isaiah, this is quite a long reading, but there's a section in the reading that follows on the reading from Micah last week, the conclusion, a famous passage in the Old Testament. O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So today, Isaiah says, what should we be doing back in Jerusalem? How should we be treating one another? Not only the people who are supposed to be in, but the foreigner and the alien. Loose the bonds of injustice. Undo the thongs of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. And you shall cry for help, and he will say, here I am. You know, in the recovery movement, one of the things that they say that assists in the process of recovery is giving away what you have. That means when you hear me say, uh, somebody's going to ask you someday, or you hope, I hope, how do I get what you have? So, you know, Christianity is uh, talked about usually in very aggressive terms, but there is some truth to the idea that Christianity is a program of attraction and not promotion. So when Isaiah speaks today about this, it has something to do with how you begin to cultivate certain traits and certain abilities that are attractive and that build up and not tear down. There's a little line embedded in this reading, and do not hide yourself from your own kin. 
I think sometimes the people uh, we love the most are the people we treat the worst. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to understand that uh, part of this sense of self-giving, part of the generosity, part of the good works that you and I are called to as reflections of God's presence and God's spirit within us maybe take place in the ordinary and the commonplace. I say this all the time, you know, a lot of us have the idea that when we think about good works, we need to be associated with some humongous program. We need to be engaged in some movement. We need to be joined up with some organization that is moving on all fronts to do this. And I hope that some of you are. I'm always so impressed by how many of you are in the wider society, which Christian people are called to do. But most of the time, you and I learn our spiritual, emotional, and mental lessons in the ordinary and commonplace activities of our everyday lives with the people that are nearest to us. And so it says today that we ought not to hide ourselves from our own kin. We live in a changed world, don't we? I mean, people don't live as close to one another as they used to. We're scattered all over the place. It's hard to do that. But somehow I think it may be important to reflect on the necessity to include that. God comes in the ordinary and in the commonplace. The reading from 1 Corinthians, you know, usually in many cases in the lectionary, the first reading from the Hebrew Bible and the reading from the gospel are connected thematically, and that's true today. And then the second reading, which is usually one of Paul's epistles, kind of poodles along on its own thematic journey. But I read it and I thought this week, you know, it has something to do with if the theme is how to make manifest the presence of God, Paul may be talking to the Corinthian community about obstacles in the way of making manifest the presence of God in the community itself. So the situation on the ground is that Paul left Corinth and in his absence a group of people came in and said, Paul may have said this to you, but we're now going to tell you the real way to do this. And guess what? your own prejudices and biases about your own smartness, about your own intelligence, about your own wisdom, turned out to be right. And you need to rely on those particular things because our own human efforts and our own way of thinking about things is the best way to do this. Human wisdom. Right? Now, there's nothing wrong with human wisdom. Practical wisdom is something that can be and is godly. When we find out what it is and we can share with other people the things we've learned, as my grandfather would have said, in the College of Hard Knocks. But at the same time, every age believes it's the smartest one. We live in a country 
that is in an unprecedented sense hostile to organized religion. G.K. Chesterton turned out to be right back in the 1920s when he said, when people stop believing in God or in religion, it doesn't mean they don't believe anything. It means they will believe anything. <laughs> and that is exactly the case. So so-called progressive, intelligent, liberal people and so-called intelligent, conservative people are prepared to believe stuff that makes your hair stand on end. My wife, Nancy, gave me a book for Christmas called Denialism. Two chapters stand out in my mind as I'm speaking now without notes about this. One is called The Organic Fetish. The other one is The World of Echinacea. All right? There is not one scientific study that supports the view that taking vitamins are any help to you at all. They do not help you. You can take them. But the best way to get that kind of nutrition is through the food you eat and eating in a healthy way and in a, a variable diet. That's how you do that. Well, the response is, that's what you say. So I'm taking it. Right? In Denmark, they conducted a study where they had a, a, a study group who were given to eat vegetables and produce that you bought at a Safeway or something like that. And then they fed you the, 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 the organic vegetables. Then they took a blood test. And they said, is the, the vegetables you got from Safeway and ate them, did the nutrients and the minerals and the chemicals and all the stuff that are supposed to be good for you that you get from eating these things, uh, at what rate were they absorbed and how much of it was in your system after you ate them? And then they took a blood test after they ate the organic stuff. And what the study found was there's no difference. You know, I'm a guy running around getting organic stuff and, and thinking, you know why organic food is popular and why we support that? Is because it tastes better. It tastes better. When you don't truck something a gazillion miles to get into a market in a boxcar, but it comes locally or it's grown from your own garden, it tastes better. And when something tastes better, we think it must be better for you, right? It's not. That's what you say. That's the point of view. You know, never mind. We're just not going to pay any attention to that. You know? The world of echinacea. I also read in it, this is the first location to the place, you know, finally they published the study itself. But the connection between vaccination and autism and any of the other things that everybody says is bogus. 
These were, this was doctored evidence that got published in a medical journal that frightened every parent in the United States that if you vaccinate your children, they're going to get, they'll be autistic or something else, right? I think this is part, but my own footnote to this is what Edwin Friedman always said, God rest his soul, that we live in a culture that is chronically anxious and will believe anything. So, you know, there it is. Paul is trying to make this point. He's trying to say, you know what we come here to tell you is that the wisdom of God is present to each of you. You have the human spirit that is within you that makes you who you are, made in God's image. And in addition to that, you have the spirit of God, the internal illuminative process, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you. And by virtue of that, you can become a transparency and a reflection of God's grace in everything that you do, even if from a, on a day-to-day -day basis, not one religious word comes out of your mouth. But that you reflect back to the world the highest and best of what it means to be a human being and a godly person, which is a great segue into today's gospel. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. Last week we read the Beatitudes. What Jesus says is uh, receives God's blessing. The blessed states that you and I live in now. And today is a segue from there to and extended ethical teaching, which we'll begin to take up next week in the Gospel. The Sermon on the Mount is a long thing. It's two chapters at least. So it starts at the beginning of chapter 5 and it runs through chapter 7. And Jesus is speaking to the people who are listening to him about how he understands God's work in the community of faith that he's part of. And he's at pains to say that he stands in some relief from his co-religionists, as we would have used to have said, the religious leadership, because here's what he seeks to emphasize and gives support for what I've been saying since the beginning of the sermon. We spend way too much time, Christians in history have spent way too much time believing or thinking that we have to wait for some future occurrence in order for things to be made whole. That some, depending on the harshness of the explication of Christianity, some believe we need to wait for a divine ethnic cleansing, where once that's occurred, we get transported to some new location, some cloud cuckoo land, and it's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says today that whenever you do the things that he's speaking of and understand your vocation to be salt, to be, it doesn't say here, the leaven in the lump, to let your light shine before others, the kingdom of God is present now. 
in you and what you do. We don't have to wait. It's here. For those who heard him in his earthly ministry, they realized it was here in him. He embodied this, the unique focus of the divine presence. But in the Sermon on the Mount, he is giving the people, Jewish Christians, who Matthew's community represents, he was giving them a way of understanding within their own context their vocation and role. They were to let their light shine before others. They were to welcome others into God's gracious embrace. And they were now to be in the here and the now part of God's plan to make manifest the presence of God to the world. This week, give thanks for the opportunity to be uh, the salt of the earth. Give thanks for the opportunity to let your light shine. You know, we believe that this light, it's like the light coming off a diamond, many faceted. Each one of you has abilities, skills, a way of reflecting God back to others that's unique. And so we celebrate that on this Sunday in the Beatitudes. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Amen.